How y'all doing? Good? Well, uh, my name is uh, Pastor Jake. I'm the youth and young adult pastor at Resurrection Life Church, if you don't know me. And I'm, uh, I'm super excited to, to talk to all of you. But first, let's, uh, to, uh, right now, we have a lot of things going on within our church. We have kids camp that's starting uh, tomorrow morning. But all the staff and all the volunteers are hiding up there, getting ready for a, uh, an entire week of ministry to the kids this week. So definitely be praying for them and that the, that the kids would truly encounter God. We, we, we have this saying within the realm of like student and, and kids ministry that there's no junior Holy Spirit. And that God, like, like, like sometimes it's like, well, yeah, just teaching the Bible stories, which by the way, think about like, stop for a minute. Think about the stories we tell these kids, like the Bible stories, like sometimes like, yes, Moses, he, he, he split the, God split the Red Sea and then they go through and then God just swallowed up the thousands of Egyptians. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, and then we have and then David. You know, David, he was just a brave young boy. He, he killed this giant, and then he chopped off his head. And all the four-year-old boys were like, yes, chopping off heads. Anyway, be praying for the kids uh, this week. Um, just that they encounter, like, truly encounter God's love. Um, just for me personally, I grew up going to Raz and I grew up going to kids camp and I remember like vividly encountering God's love in such a, a special way that still impacts me today. I still have memories of, uh, of God actually touching my spirit and my heart from moments like camp. So I'm super, super excited for them. Um, tonight I want to, I want to talk to you, but I want to ask you before we get going, um, and ask you why you're here, you know, like for, for you, each of us individually, some of us, our spouses direct us here. Some of us, uh, we came with a friend, maybe we came with a, a potential boyfriend, girlfriend, and you wanted to show them that you were a good, good old person to come to church on a Sunday night. Uh, I don't know why you're here, uh, but I want you to ask the question to consider uh, that question because there's... Time is short. Time is short. And so many times we can get so distracted and caught up in things that don't matter that why we're here, not just in church, but on the earth, to answer that question, why are we here, is truly important to living effective, healthy, uh, 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 God-fulfilling lives. And I want you to ask yourself this question Am I hungry? Am I hungry? Am I hungry for God? Am I, am I, am I hungry for, for more of his work in my life? Am I, am I content with what he's given me, but still on the edge of wanting to experiencing know him more? Is that where you're at? Are you trying to clean up your life and, and, and clean up some sin in your life? Are you trying to I don't know where, are you hungry? Because God works with hungry people. It says, it says in Matthew, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's funny because in the natural, in the natural, like when you, when you eat, right? When you eat, you get full. In the spiritual, when you're hungry, you get full. It's not when you eat is when you, you see God's world is upside down. He's saying, listen, once you get a taste of me, you want way more. Once you get a glimpse of who I truly am and my work in your life, 
Everything else seems insignificant. But if you're not willing to be hungry and be wrong about yourself, your past, your history, your family, and your future, if you're not willing to be wrong, then God's just like, okay. Because he gives us a, the free choice to respond to the message and invitations that he's, that he's given us every single day. And today what I want to do is, is look through the life of David through some, through some, not specifically one story, but look at a, actually a few different uh, accounts of his life and how he responds. But before I do, um, I want you to imagine for me, go back, go back. I don't know where, how old you are, whether you're, you're 70 or 40 or 20 or, or, or 14. I want you to imagine that you're a teenager, maybe a 19, 16, 20, Maybe young 20s, young person. Imagine yourself as being a young person. And now you can imagine yourself that moment in your life where there was, that, uh, there was that special someone who caught your eye. Okay? So, so they caught your eye and you're like, ooh, they're cute. Ooh, you look, oh. Maybe for some of you young people, you go on Facebook and I get their name on a front of Maybe you go on their Instagram, find their handle, you slip into their DMs and you're like, hey. And they're like, what? Right? So there's, there's this thing. That, and all, all the older, listen, just bear with me. I'm a young adult and youth pastor, okay? You're not going to catch all the, the different nuances that I share throughout this. But there's this thing called with young people called the chase. The chase. And it's this process between young people where they're, they're not necessarily in a committed relationship, but it's the process where, the, where they come together and you, you really figure out that you like each other. And so there's like little text messages here. There's, uh, maybe back then it was a phone call on a landline that you're calling them and their parents answer. And then you're like, hey, who is this? And you're like, hey, is Susan there? And then, and then you go and you talk to them. Why are you calling me? Hey, do you, wanna, do you wanna go out on a date with me? And then they're like, sure. And then you just, I, you, your heart just jumps because they say yes or it gets crushed because you get rejected. And so there's this thing called the chase which is in relationships and in romantic relationships that goes on. And, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a beautiful, a beautiful picture as long as it's done in a healthy way and, and people aren't stupid with their morality. Either, either way, it's this thing called the chase. And I want to zone in on this, which is this almost like this euphoric experience that we have with, in rela- romantic relationships. And it's, it's so addicting in a sense and I want to tell you about my experience with my wife and when I started dating my wife. So my wife always flirted with me before we started dating. It was totally her. Um, no, she worked, at a, she worked at a bakery and she would, a Great Harvest Bread Company in Grand Haven. And uh, she would always bring me bread. She was just like, hey, I got some extra bread. Got this, get this bread. Do you want some extra bread? And I took it as like, yeah, you think I'm, you think I'm cute, don't you? Mm-hmm. And so we'd text here and there, we'd hang out in groups, and, and it was the chase was on, right? It's like, you know, you're, you're talking, you're flirting, you're going back and forth, you're never saying I like you, but there's this, there's this banter back and forth, and that's what I call the chase. And then there came a moment where the chase was no longer, I would say it this way, where I wanted to take it a step further. 
I didn't want it just to be this fling that happens where, where there's texting back and forth. I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be a relationship. And so I go and, and I, uh, I'm sitting in the parking lot. I was actually at church with one of my good friends and, uh, I'm sitting in the parking lot in the church and, and he's like, dude, I know you, when are you going to ask her out? When are you going to ask Abby out? And I'm like, I don't know. And I was in college at the time and I had like no money, like no money. And this was in November. And I'm like, I'm thinking like after Christmas, cause her birthday's in December. So if I ask her out now, like I ain't going to be able to give her anything for Christmas and her birthday. Like I ain't be able to get her anything. So maybe I'll wait till after Christmas. And my, my buddy's like, no, you can't wait that long. And I was like, well, no, I think I can. I think I, I don't have any money. And, and then he's like, no, do it right now. I'm like, dude, and my buddy's name is Justin. Justin, it's like, it's like 9.30 at night and she's at home and she works at a bakery, which means she has to get up at 3 a.m. So, no, I'm not doing it tonight. He's like, dude, do it right now. And I'm like, I can't. You know, like when your buddies and then another one of our friends like walked by and then, you know, like when, when you have some dudes, maybe your dudes in the room, like your couple of your friends are like, no, you can do it. You can. And then all these, all these guys come in and they basically convinced me to go and do it that night. They're like, dude, just think about this. When you're married and you have a kid and you get to tell the story about how you asked her out, you went in the middle of the night, woke her up and you said, will you be my girlfriend? <laughs> and so, uh, I decide to go. I'm driving over there. It's like 10.30 at this point. And, and she's got to wake up at 3 a.m. And so I'm like going through my head. I'm like, oh my gosh, what the heck am I doing? What the heck? She lived in Zealand. So this is like 25 minute drive. So I'm like driving. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what am I doing? What the heck am I doing? What? But I was like committed at that point. I was already in Hudsonville on the highway. 96, I'm on the highway. I'm ready to go. So I, I, I get there and I'm like, so now I'm in the, I'm in the, the driveway. And now it's like, you know, like you, you know, like those stories that you see in the movies where it's like, you know, like little, you go up to the window and you have a little rock and you're like tossing rocks at the window. And I'm like, I'm like legitimately contemplating doing that. I'm like, I, crap, I, I don't know what room, I don't know what, which room is her. So I could gas and just like start chucking stone. No, I'm not going to do that. I wasn't as dumb as, as, as maybe as I seemed. But anyway, so I go up there. I'm like, okay, it's like 1030, actually probably 1045. I'll just, maybe they're awake. Maybe I'll just knock. So I literally knock on the door. I'm just, and I'm like, what the heck am I doing? And then her mom opens the door and she's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, can I talk to Abby? And she's like, it's 1045. I said, it's important. She goes, okay, I'll get her. So she goes and gets Abby and then she gets her. She, and then, and then as she's getting Abby, cause Abby was sleeping cause she doesn't get to get up at 3am in the 3am. And, and as she's sleeping, her dad comes out. And if you know my wife's dad, he, he's, he's a pastor of a church in Holland. And I'll just say this. He wrote a book called manly dominion. Okay. <laughs> That's all you need to know about him. He wrote a book called manly dominion. So he comes in the living room, starts talking to me and I'm like, oh my gosh, what the heck am I doing? Why did, why did I listen to Justin? Why did I listen to Justin? I could have waited till after Christmas, save me all that money and this, okay? So I'm sitting in the living room and then Abby comes out and then, and so I'm sitting and she's like, what the heck are you doing here? And I sit and now, I, this is literally like, this is like, I, 
God gave me this line. I swear, he gave me this line. He said, I, I, I sat down there, I was like, I just want to talk to you something. I said, I said, Abby, because she was one of my best friends because we hung out in groups and hung out for a long time. I said, you're one of my bre- best, <laughs> you're one of my best friends. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> you're one of my best friends. <laughs> but I'm willing to risk our friendship for something more. Ooh. Straight from the Lord. And she starts like crying a little bit. And I'm like, yes. So she says yes. So she says yes. And we start dating. And, and what I want to, what, what happened was from there we started dating. And then after we, so we started dating, we, we got more serious and we dated. And then we got engaged and we got married. And, and what, I, what I found out was, is the more that I, time that I spend with Abby, that I actually, my life and my personality starts to change. And now, now her beauty and the, and the beautiful person that she is starts to impact me. And, and, and what I realized is that the chase is actually, it, although it's the exciting part, the most amazing part of a relationship or a marriage is the love and impact that her personality has on mine. It's, 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 it's her inner beauty that I get to reflect and glean from. And the more that I spend time with her, the more that I'm transformed, almost not like into her, per- but I am in tra- transformed by her personality. And although the chase is fun and the story is fun, but what the, what the beautiful transformational power of a relationship is proximity, priority, and personality. And so what I want to share with you is that, is this, this is this idea that personal connection leads to personal transformation. Personal connection leads to personal transformation. I want to read out Psalm 27, 4. It says, the one thing, this is our staple verse for, uh, for tonight, It says, one thing, this is David speaking. The one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So tonight, we read this and and think about Think about this statement. He says, the one thing I've asked. Now, what do you got to know about this, this, this verse? Is that, so the one thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, listen, if you come to church on a, uh, on a, on a Friday night, like you're not going to get in the building. Like, like the church is locked. And so when we read this and we're like, yeah, dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. It's not like, no, you don't get to live at church, okay? Like you don't actually get to live here. What was David referring to when he says, the one thing I ask, the one thing I seek, that I would dwell on the house of the Lord forever. What you got to know is the system in which God related to people in his day, in this time period. They had a thing called a tabernacle or a temple to where God's presence actually rested. His transformational presence that manifested in in, in powerful ways was located in a tabernacle or in a temple in the Old Testament. So God literally put himself, his presence, his being inside of a building. 
And then inside of this building, there were different rooms. And inside the deepest part of this, this tabernacle or temple was the place called the Holy of Holies, which they only went in one time a year on one day a year, only by the high priest. So only one person got to go in to this Holy of Holies. And this place was not like a place where it's like, oh, like, like nonchalant walking into church. No, if, you, if a priest went in, if the high priest went in incorrectly, not following the laws of the time, they would actually fall over dead. Because God's presence was so strong, so holy, so righteous. And so as he goes, as he goes in, there's inside the Holy of Holies, there's this thing called the Ark of the Covenant which is this, this, this contraption that God, that God instructed Moses to build that would actually house some elements. And on this Ark of the Covenant, the high priest would go in, bear with me here, he would go into the Holy of Holies one time a year, and he would sprinkle blood on what the top of this Ark, which was called the Mercy Seat. And he would sprinkle blood on the top of the Mercy Seat seven times. Side note. In Hebrews 9, Jesus says that, the, the Hebrews 9, it says that Jesus ascended into heaven and he made atonement on the mercy seat for us. So the, the, the earthly ark represented the heavenly tabernacle and ark that actually exists in heaven. And Jesus, you know, it says he sprinkled seven times. Jesus' blood was shed seven times on earth. Nails on the hands, the head, the, the, um, the, the whippings that he had on the back. I'm just counting. Where am I missing? Okay, I'm drawing. Feet, side, feet and side, yeah. So it, it's just, he, Jesus was the representation of, uh, of the Ark of the Covenant in this, this picture of the tabernacle in God's presence. And so they would go in and, and they would sprinkle the blood and then Above the mercy seat, there were these things, this cherubim that had these big wings that covered the mercy seat, okay? So if you can imagine, there's these, these two cherubim, which are like angel-like beings with big wings, and they cover this mercy seat. And what do you, what, what's the significance of this? Is that David says, one thing I've asked, one thing that I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You see, David, David's life was like pretty crazy. Um, like David had some problems, right? So David, if you don't know his story, he was, he was a shepherd boy. He got anointed as king. He killed a Goliath. And then the dude, the dude who he killed the Goliath for, the king that he killed him for, decided to try to kill him. And so David's hiding from the king who's trying to kill him. And then David becomes king. And then his family goes crazy. He commits adultery. He, he, he kills someone. And then his son dies. And then he has another son. And then his sons rise up. His sons hate each other. His sons hate him. Like, if you think you got some family problems, like, go look at David's life. Like David, he had some family problems, family problems in the book of Psalms is a collection, not all written by David, but a lot of them inspired by David. And what we see is, is, is a glimpse into how David handled different situations in his life. And if you read through the book of Psalms, you'll, you'll see this phrase. Okay. You'll see this phrase. Under the shadow of his wings. You'll see it everywhere. Under the shadow of his wings. And it's referring to the cherubim that I described, which overlooked the mercy seat, which the blood was shed on for the forgiveness of sin. 
And so as he's as we look at David's life, we see how he responds to every situation in life. Whether it's family insecurity, whether it's family, whether it's family relational problems, whether it's, whether it's his leadership problems, people that he's leading, whether it's his personal sin problems when he commits adultery uh, uh, with Bathsheba and he sins against God. Over and over again, we see David writing these psalms referring to this, this posture where he is hiding under the shadow of, of God's wings. So what does this mean for us today? <laughs> he says in Psalm 27, 4, I'll read this one more time. One thing I've asked, one thing that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Hiding. So what we see here is that David... In a sense, you see David, his position and posture in every season was to go to the place where God's forgiveness, his mercy, and his love existed. So we went to this place, hiding under the shadow of the wings of God to where his sins were forgiven to where his eternity was secure. His eternal destination was secure. And we see this over and over again. And the question that I always ask when I read this passage in Psalm 27 is, what's the one thing that I seek? Like if I were to ask myself, what's the one thing that I seek? What's the one thing that I ask of God? What's the one thing that I desire and go after more than anything else in my life? Sometimes I don't know how I would even respond. You know, for Solomon, David's son, it was wisdom. And we, we love Solomon because of the Proverbs and his wisdom, but, and we celebrate him, but I, I, I wonder if David had it better. I wonder if David was seeking after something that was so much more real and so much more transformational than anyone else on the earth. And it leads me to think that way because God says that David was a man after his own heart. What's the one thing that you and I seek after? Is it fame? Is it significance? Is it, is it money? Is it security? What's the one thing we're seeking after? What's the one thing that, that if, it was, if it was taken from us, we would say we're not okay? Because David says, the one thing that I seek is to dwell in this relational space with God and to behold his beauty all the days of my life. And now you would say, well, that seems kind of like fluffy. You see, but David was actually dealing with extremely real problems and he was dealing with, with, with very uh, uh, practical issues in his life. 
And so what he's saying within this context of Psalm 27 is he's saying is that no matter what comes my way, whether my son is trying to rise up to kill me, whether I've committed sin against God, whether, whether my, 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 my people have, have gone away from me, no matter what has happened to me, the one thing that I will continually seek above fame, above wealth, above my family, above everything else, the thing that I will seek is to be in a relational connected space with God and to have affection towards him no matter what comes my way. Do we realize that David was writing these psalms often when his sons were trying to kill him? Do we realize that David was writing these at the end of his life when he looked back and he saw all the things that he built but all the things that were taken away? And what we see is that David, because he sought God and he had true connection with the God of the universe, is that even after everything played out, he said, the one thing that I seek is a relationship that's like in a, in a, in a real way, romantically connected spirit to spirit. Even though my kids have gone crazy, even though my life did not plan out the way I thought it would when I was 16, even though I've made mistakes, even though I've committed all of these sins, God, I know that I have a future if I will keep my eyes fixed on your beauty. And here's the issue that I see with the church today in myself and in so many other people is that we take ourselves way too seriously. We're like, oh, Jake, you don't know what's, you don't know my story. Listen, I do know your story and it includes a man named Jesus hung on a cross, said it's finished, gave you a spirit and says, go shine. And I'm not making light of your story. I'm not making light of your issues. I'm not making light of any of those things. But if we seek the freedom from our problems more than we seek his face, you're defeated. Because freedom, Jesus says it this way. He says, if you want, who wants to find like, who wants to find their purpose? Like their life. Who wants to find that sweet spot with God where you're living fulfilled and content and alive and purpose-driven and responsible and you're seeing God move in your life? Who wants that, right? Jesus says, and this is the only, okay, are you listening? This is the only passage. I'm getting excited. This is the only passage in all four gospels that exists in each one. So you know like in some story, you'll read like Matthew and you're like, oh, that wasn't in Mark. And then you'll read in Mark and you're like, oh, that wasn't in John. In, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, there is one teaching that Jesus gives that's in all of them. Do you want to know what it is? He says, if you want to find your life, you must lose it. And the temptation that I have is try to keep my life and include God in. And the Bible calls that double vision. It says if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is double, your whole body will be filled with darkness and the truth is not in you. There's this place with God 
God is like all loving, all kind, full of grace. Like he is like goes, leaves the 99 to find the one. Like this is our God. He is so patient. He's so kind. But he, in a sense, demands all in. There's not that like, there's not this like Jesus incorporated. Like I get to keep like this part of my life, God, and you can have my family, you can have my Sundays, you can have my Wednesdays, but on Mondays when I go out bowling with the dudes, like <laughs> Jesus, I'm going to leave you in the car. Hey, when I go out on Fridays with my, when I go out on Fridays with my friends, like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I love you on every other day, but I know your grace is for me. And Saturday morning, I'll wake up, maybe feel a little condemned, but I know, yeah, I can go on Sunday, I'll get a good word. Listen, that is not the God that we serve. And if we've gotten that message from preachers or people, I'm sorry, because if you read the word, that's not what it says. The word says if we want to find our life, we have to lose it. I'm not talking, don't lose your mind. Keep your mind, okay? Keep your mind. We don't want people losing their mind. I'm saying though, find, lose your life. What does it mean to lose our life? It means to put God's priorities Number one, no excuses. Pretty simple. <laughs> Easier said than done, I might add. Matthew 6.33, very famous verse. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about your tomorrow or your life, about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So to go back to David, David said, the one thing I ask, the one thing I seek is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have good news. You don't have to come to Resurrection Life Church to dwell in the house of the Lord. You don't have to come here. Yes, we have amazing worship. Yes, we have crazy people speaking on stage. But you do not have to come here to meet with God. 1 Corinthians 6.19. Let's look at it. It says this. It will come up. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is what happens when you come to Jesus. When you lose your life, say yes to Jesus. He goes, yep, um, real estate, all this, all this real estate going on. He goes, looks at you. He says, yep, you, you. Okay, how much does it cost? Oh, the blood of Jesus already paid. I buy you. Bought your body. He says, hey, that thing looks a little bit unfin unfinished, man. Oh, that needs some remodeling. Ooh, ooh, those walls, ooh, those are ugly. That's outdated. Ooh, we need to get new walls in there, new door, new tram. We need new kitchen, new appliances. Here, Holy Spirit, hey, get in that new house that I just bought and make it look just like I want it. Yes. 
Listen, you are a temple of God's very presence. David had to go to this mercy seat with these wings that were hovering with a shadow in order to meet with God. And God's saying, you don't need to go anywhere. He says in Psalm 100 verse 4, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. He's not talking about a worship band. He's talking about you taking responsibility over that. Using this not to curse and complain about your spouse, but to instead give thanks to God, ignore the problems, find a focus, and say, God, you're the one thing that I seek. (laughs) (sighs) And what happens is, is we see this, right? The the mercy seat and the wings hiding under it. What is it thanks? What are we giving thanks for? God, I thank you that you bought me. God, my past was dirty and messed up. God, you might have bought you might have bought sexual immorality. You might have bought divorce. You might have bought might have bought all these nasty murder. You might have bought stealing and, and, and robbery. You might have bought all these nasty nasty things about my life. You bought it, forgave it. God, thank you for making me new. God, thank you that your blood has forgiven everything. And God, that you've placed your spirit in me. God, I thank you that all of these problems, God, I will not worry about tomorrow because today is enough for me to connect with you. The only reason I would worry about tomorrow is if I don't see you in today. So I'll place, God, you're so in today. God, even though my family, God, even though my son or my daughter is going out, going crazy on me, God, I will worship you because you, I committed them. I commit them to you, God, and trust that you are more, you are a better father than I am. And once, once we get into this relational space with God, which we actually bring him like the real stuff, like here's some of the, I'm sorry, I'm getting like, some of us like, we're like, let me ask you this. How would you describe God? This is kind of a hypothetical. How much time do I have? Like 45 minutes left? Okay, good. Um, how, how would you describe God? Oh, God is love. I'm sorry, I'm going to get a little dramatic here. God is love. He's so patient. He's so just. He's so righteous and all these other words that anyone who would ever come to the church would not understand. He's so holy. Can I read you, can I tell you a story about who, like what God's like? Because pro- the problem with most of us is that we actually are trying to relate to God. We, try, we are relating to a God that has no personality. He's love. Well, like, Okay, but how are you going to relate to his personality? Because if there's no personality within this exchange with God, then there's a limit in the connection that you can have with him and that we can have with him. So in John 21, there's this amazing story. So Jesus is way funnier than you ever thought, I promise you. Jesus is like, there's a message that I eventually want to give. It's called Savage Jesus, um, where Jesus is just like so funny, like so funny. He, uh, so he, re- like, so Jesus is dead. Okay. John 21, Jesus died on the cross for the sin of the world, right? That the, the curtains tear, the clouds go dark, earthquake, all this crazy stuff going on. Jesus dies. All of his disciples are like, yo, we did not think this was going to happen even though he told us 1,900 times. And then, 
And then so then he goes down into Hades, into hell, and he says he took the keys of life, of death, from the devil. So he goes down into where the devil is, and he says, I'll take those keys. Comes up on the third day. He comes up, and he's resurrected. And now, if, I don't know about you. If it were me, I'd be like, whoa! Like, I got the keys, yo! Come on, baby! Like, we're gonna run this. Peter! Peter, I'm back! Don't worry! I got the keys! And no, 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 this is what Jesus does. That's what I would do. Because that makes sense to me. And mostly because I'm an athlete. And I like winning. This is what Jesus, John 21. His disciples are fishing. You can imagine why they're fishing. They're, like realistically, put yourself in this story where you, like Jesus literally died and everything that you gave your life for, you left your family and now he's dead. So what do you do? I guess we'll go back to fishing and they're fishing and, and they're not catching anything and Jesus is, is resurrected like he's got the keys like Jesus is like resurrected like sin forgiven all these people redeemed from all the thousands of years of sin and unforgiveness and, and, and the atonement not being fulfilled and, and Jesus is walking along the beach and he goes did you guys catch anything? Disciples, no, we got nothing. Casting that on the other side. He just rose from Hades. <laughs> they cast it on the other side. They pull it up. Huge catch. Huge catch. It says 153. Who counted those? I don't know who counted those. 153 fish. It says, Peter, he realized once they caught all the fish, because when Jesus called them, it, remember in the beginning when they were fishing, and he says, hey, go out. They've been fishing all night. So Jesus is like playing with them, like a, like a friend. He's like, yo, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring back this memory to them. He's like, dude, God, watch this. I'm going to bring back the fish. And God's like, great idea, Jesus. This will really get them. This will really get them. And so he goes, and, he, and they cast, and they catch all the fish. They catch the fish and Peter realizes it's Jesus. And it says that he jumps out of the boat and he goes to shore and it says Jesus has a fire and he's roasting some fish biscuits for him. You guys, he just raised from the dead. And the fir his first thing is like, yeah, I'll make some, we'll have just have breakfast with the guys. We'll just have breakfast with the guys. That's how I want to, that's the first thing. When I raise them, that's the first thing I want to do. And so they come and they eat together. What I want to point out here is that when we're relating to God, we're not relating to an impersonal God. And he is a God of love. He is the God of justice. He's the God of mercy. But he's also Jesus who knowing his friends who were heartbroken, played a little game with them and said, <laughs> let's go fishing. And I know you're a little hungry too, so here, I made a fire for you. Let's cook up some fish. 
And so many of us are looking for God to connect relationally. We're looking, we're going in our room, we're trying really hard, but God, it says, it says in, he, it says in, the, in the Bible, I'm trying to think of the passage, it's, coming, it's not coming to me, but it says, Jesus in him, all things were created in him and through him. Like, my, my parents' dogs just had these little puppies. They're like the cutest things ever. Like these puppies are little like mini fluffy balls. And guess what? When they're all together, they like, they just like run and jump and tackle each other. And, and, and my dad just told me a story yesterday. He was telling me this story. Now, if God created all things, did he create puppies? Are puppies cute? Are puppies funny? Like Jesus is in that. He's in creation. It says everything. And so many times we're looking to God, like, God, meet me in this mysterious religious way so that I can be transformed. And he's like, just stop. He's like, look at, I want you to think of me as a father, as a friend, and as a person, not a mystical force that's coming to fix all of our problems. He's a friend who wants to walk alongside you so that we can be transformed to look just like our father. So the story, my dad, we have another dog who's like 14 years old and he's, okay, he's pooping. Okay, you know how dogs poop? You know, like you can imagine like how they stand and stuff. So he's in the yard and you're like, why are you telling this story? Because Jesus is in all things. He's in creation. If we get too serious with God, we'll miss him. Because Jesus is the one who made the fish biscuits. And I'm not saying to be irreverent. I'm not saying to, to take him so lightly. But I am saying that we can come to him in a relational way on the mercy seat to say, God, thank you that you've forgiven me. Thank you that you've, you've seen me, that you've, you've made me white as snow. So anyway, back to the story. So he's going to the bathroom and... <laughs> This little puppy is at full speed, just like, whoo, 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 and just knocks the dog over in the middle of the, middle of the potty. Like in mid-push, like, duh, knocks him over. Like, what? And I'm not trying to be irreverent, but I am trying to communicate a message that some of us just need to take our, like not take ourselves so seriously. God doesn't meet us when we're going like this. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. <laughs> he meets us in a place where we say, you know, God, maybe we're on our knees. Like some people, it's okay to go on your knees, but he meets us in a place where we're sincere. We're like, God, like, to be honest, this money situation is not fun. And it's, it's taken a toll on me. But I enter your courts with thanksgiving and know that you meet all of my needs according to your riches and glory, God. And I come into this space that even if I don't, what seems like I don't have enough, God, you're enough for me. That even if I were to lose my house, lose my apartment, lose this, lose my car, whatever it is, God, I will not lose my testimony. I will not lose my joy and I will not lose anything. On the contrary, I will shine even brighter because this world will pass away. And guess what? Eternity lasts forever. And how I treat this now matters. And I say, God, <laughs> 
And he reminds you of things. And, and God, I, you know what? This family, these relational issues are just, they suck. And allow him to remind you of different situations in your life where you were an idiot. And maybe you should just laugh at yourself. Maybe you're so frustrated at your kids. It might do us good if we think back to the times that we were in high school and college and go, wow, I was an idiot, God. And guess what? You saw me through. So I trust you to take care of my kid the same way you trusted me. Do you see how I understand there's really heavy situations that we're going through? I'm not trying to make light of them. Like, I'm really not. But what's the one thing that we're seeking? And if we'll seek God with our whole heart, behold his beauty, behold the beauty of God, I believe that we will find him in that through the personal connection, we can be personally transformed. By personal connection, we can be personally transformed. All right, would you all just close your, uh, close your eyes, bow your heads with me. We're gonna end in prayer here. One thing I've asked that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Three questions I just want you to ask yourself real quick. Just real personal questions that you can take home to think about. Where is God in my priority list? Where is God? Like realistically, not like when I, a pastor, comes and talks to you and is like, where's God? Yep, God's number one. Like realistically, where's God in your priority list? Don't be ashamed of it. Just be real. It's the first step to having a personal connection with God is being real. Where's he at? Where do you want him to be? Next question. What earthly things are consuming your mind a little too much? Last question. How can I make relationship with Jesus more personal and less religious? How can I make my relationship with Jesus more personal and less religious? Just ask yourself those questions. What are some simple ways? It's so easy to get caught up in a religion. It's so easy to get caught up in blessed and highly favored. Yep, I'm blessed. Yep, and we, cre- we actually get sucked into this religious vocabulary that God's not even speaking. How can I make my relationship with Jesus more personal and less religious? I feel like for some of you, it's gonna be some walks that you're gonna take and you're just gonna look at nature and you're gonna see the beauty of God's creation and, and, and you're gonna laugh a little bit with God. You know that God created laughter? <laughs> so many times we go to God and we're so serious and I think, like I just had a son with your eyes still closed, just like, I still had a son. And about two weeks ago, he, or I'm sorry, it was last, this past week, he laughed for the first time. And guess what I did? I laugh so hard. Like God is waiting for some of you to laugh with him. Not to, not to laugh at the expense of others, but to laugh at creation, to laugh at, at and maybe our past and to look back and say, God, oh my gosh, thank you for, for putting up with my stupid. 
Laughter is medicine to the soul and it's actually a way to connect with God that the church has lost in, in, in this day and age. And this last part is a call for anyone who doesn't know God. You see, God created humanity to connect with them, to have peace with them. But a problem arose back in the Garden of Eden thousands of years ago where this man Adam sinned and sin entered the world. And every person from that point on was born disconnected from God. And from that point on, humans were living in a rat race of performance and, 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 and performance, survival, and trying to find their own happiness. We've tried to connect with God by doing good actions. We've tried to connect with God by, by praying really hard. We've tried to connect with God by going to church. We've tried to connect with God by, by, by connecting with our parents' faith. We've, we've tried to make this peace with God, but the fact is, is you can't have peace with God without losing your life and following this person, Jesus. And this man named Jesus was born of a virgin and he was God. He came to earth, lived a perfect life and was murdered for doing nothing wrong. And the Bible says that when he died, that all of humanity's sin was placed upon him. In Jesus, in John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So many people are looking for peace with God, but the only way is to commit our lives to Jesus through faith in what he did on the cross, which was to take your and my sin and abolish it forever for anyone who will put their faith in Jesus. This is not a Hail Mary. It's not a good luck charm. It's the most important truth that's ever been spoken to the world. That you can never save yourself. Only Jesus can. And you and I can have peace with God tonight by putting our faith and our trust in him. So if that's you and you've never done that, and you've been living your life your own way, trying to find peace with God. Never run to Jesus. Tonight's your night. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And when you raise your hand, what you're saying is that you could never undo all the wrong you've done. You need Jesus to forgive you. One, two, three. If that's you, just raise your hand. See that hand? Awesome, I see that hand. You can put those down. It's such an amazing decision. <laughs> Everyone just repeat after me. Say, God, I'm sorry for all the wrong things I've done. I admit that I could never make up for my mistakes on my own. I believe that Jesus died for my sin and rose again so that I could have eternal life. 
and, and rose again so that I could have connection with God. God, I give you my life, my decisions, my family, my relationships. I trust you. And from this day forward, I will follow Jesus in what he says. Holy Spirit, I invite you into my life. Take the lead. In Jesus' name, amen.